Father, we need you so much. There are so many things happening in this world that, you know, give us fear sometimes. Um, but there's when we watch these things on TV and when we hear about the stories, Lord, there's something within us that makes us angry. And Father, that anger is yours. We know it is because there's injustice that is just evil. Father, we pray that you would empower the church, convict Christians, your children, God, to stand up for those who cannot defend themselves. Father, to fight for things, Lord, we know that please you. And Father, help us to really be consumed with your love for your people so much that it overcomes all fear. Father, we know that this type of generational sin that exists today can only be completely destroyed and eradicated by the redeeming power of Christ. So Lord, we ask that you anoint your church to stand and make that difference. Lord, we pray, God, that you will intervene. But Father, we also thank you that these things are coming to light. Lord, we know that it took lives for us, for these changes to begin. But Lord, we are hopeful that you will intervene and do the work that you need to so that this world can truly be more like Christ. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our passage today comes from Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 to 30. Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 to 30. We're going to continue our series in the Sermon on the Mount. And I've titled today's message, Radical Purity. The Word of God reads, verse 27, the Word of God reads, You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. So last week, you know, we talked about a very simple topic. What difference should it make in our lives practically if we call ourselves Christians? How is our lives supposed to change? And Jesus said last week in last week's verse, he says, if you have, if people have his righteousness in their lives, then they should be living out relationships that are reconciled. Reconciled relationships really are a sign of a believer of Christ, right? Radical righteousness calls us to radical reconciliation. Very simple. This week, he's going to continue to show us how his righteousness really is far greater than the scribes and the Pharisees. And today's point is very simple as well. Radical righteousness calls us to radical purity, right? And when I, when I mean, you know, radical purity, I mean sexual purity. How many of you have heard messages on sexual purity here at church? So awesome, right? It's good. You know, I'm not sure how many messages you've heard about sexual purity at church. I'm sure all of you have heard at some time in your life, you know, just don't have sex before you get married. That's the rule. And it is. It, it really is important. You shouldn't have sex before you get married. You know, our passage even says today, inappropriate sexual relationships have the power to destroy, have a lot of destructive power, right? I mean, I don't know about you, I'm sure all of you probably know of how inappropriate sexual relationships have destroyed families, have destroyed marriages, you know, have destroyed friendships, they've destroyed organizations, they've destroyed churches. You know, I know of so many, unfortunately. And those effects are long-lasting. 
And they're absolutely devastating. And, you know, I decided today that I'm not going to share any of those examples because all those examples make me angry and all those examples make me sad at the exact same time. But those consequences are absolutely disastrous. And the thing is, if I feel like that towards inappropriate sexual relationships that are so destructive, can you imagine how a holy God feels about that? The thing is, we don't have to worry because our passage tells us exactly how they feel and how God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit feel. So there are two points that I want to share with you today, and they both have to do with our main point, which is radical righteousness calls us to radical purity. And there are two practical applications that I'd like to share with you that Jesus is sharing with us today. And so here's the first point. The first point is this. Stop lusting inappropriately. Okay? Do you guys feel uncomfortable? Stop lusting inappropriately. Verse 27, 28. It says, You've heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So what Jesus is doing here is he's pointing out the seventh commandment, isn't he? Do you guys memorize the seventh commandment? It's do not commit adultery. Everybody in that audience that Jesus was preaching to was like, you know, Jesus, I learned that one. I know that one inside and out. If I'm married, I'm not supposed to have sex with anybody outside of my marriage, you know, only my spouse. If I have sex with anybody outside of my marriage, that's adultery. Got it. Black, white, got it. Right? But then all of a sudden, Jesus, you know, he brings down the shock in verse 28, and he says, it's not just those who have sex outside of marriage that are guilty of committing adultery, but it's anyone who even looks at a woman lustfully who commits adultery. And when he said that, I'm sure there were some people in the crowd that totally understood it right away. They totally got it, and they were probably like, whoa, that's huge. But I'm sure the majority of that crowd had no idea what he was talking about, didn't, to- didn't understand what he was saying at all. And they were probably reacting kind of like this, like, hold up, Jesus. It kind of doesn't make sense. I mean, adultery means sex, right? you got to have sex to commit adultery. Looking at somebody, last time I checked, is not sex. And so therefore, how can that be adultery? But how does Jesus answer that, answer that in verse 28? He says, In God's eyes, what? Adultery is not only committed when you have physical sex, but it's also when you have sex where? Verse 28. In your heart. In the Jewish culture, a person's heart and head were one. So what Jesus is saying here is that he's talking about having sex in your mind as well as having sex as a part of your desires. If you do that, you are guilty of adultery. You know, once again, these people thought that adultery was simply the external act of unfaithfulness. That's what they thought it was. And as long as you didn't commit that external act of sex, then you were okay with God. You were totally fine with God. But what Christ is saying is so much greater, isn't it? It's so much bigger. He's like redefining adultery as we know it. And this is what he's saying. He's saying committing adultery not only happens in bed, but it also happens in your head, right? You don't have to copulate in order to be culpable. You don't have to commit the physical act of sex in order to be sinning. That's huge, right? If we simply think about having sex with somebody, or desire in our hearts to have sex with somebody outside of our spouse, we are committing adultery. Isn't that huge? 
And if that really is the definition, then aren't all of us guilty of lusting inappropriately after somebody, right? Aren't all of us guilty? Men, women, young, old, all of us? We are. And to prove it, I'm gonna, we're going to take a look at this word lust a little bit more closely. You know, if you read verse 28 carefully, you're going to realize that there's a difference between looking at someone and looking at someone lustfully. You know, I'm going to guess that everybody here knows the difference between looking and lusting. Am I right? We all know the difference within our hearts between looking and lusting. But just to be clear, I'm going to give us an example. Okay? So let's pretend you're a man. And you see a woman who is breathtakingly beautiful, right? Awesome, right? And you look at her and you say, wow, she is breathtakingly beautiful. That's okay. That's human. That's natural. You haven't sinned, okay? You know, what can you do? There, there, there are beautiful people out there and praise the Lord that there are. Amen? Great. Okay, but if you... Look at that breathtakingly beautiful woman, and all of a sudden you start to think about her, and you start to cherish her. And in your mind and in your heart, you're like, oh, dude, I wonder what it would be like to dot, 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 you know, touch a few things or to fool around you know, or have sex with her in any single way. Let's say you do that. And those steps for a man can literally take a split second, all four of those steps, okay? The moment that you start cherishing her sexually is the moment that you have lusted inappropriately, and that is when you have sinned. Do you guys understand that? That's what it is. And for men, it's shocking, isn't it? How many times a day that can happen? How many times an hour that can happen? How many times it can happen within a 22-minute TV show, right? It happens all the time. Am I right? All men are quiet in this room, right? And all you women, you're like, oh, pigs. These men are pigs. You guys are disgusting dogs. And we are. <laughs> but before you hit us with that log in your eye, let me share something with you. I read this article in a magazine. September 2003, Today's Christian Woman. This is 17 years ago. September 2003 edition of Today's Christian Woman. It says that 17% of their readers struggle with internet pornography. This is women, okay? That's like one out of six women, which tells me that this uh, lust is not just a male problem. It is a problem that, you know, women have as well. Now, I know some of you are thinking, oh, I don't know if that's really true. You might be the five out of six, but we all sin, and we all sin the sin of lust, and let me explain to you how. You know, men, it's very easy for us to lust because it's instantaneous. We look at a woman, and we just imagine having sex with her, and boom, we've sinned. But for women, it's a little bit different. You know, we sin through our eyes, but you guys sin through your imagination. You guys sin through your mind. You look at an attractive guy, and you're like, hey, that's an attractive guy. And then you kind of imagine, oh, I wonder how he would treat me if, he, if I dated him. You know, he would treat me like a princess. He would love me in this way. And you do all that stuff, right, which is great. It's fine. But then all of a sudden, you start thinking, oh, I wonder what it would be like to be intimate with him. And then, boom, you've sinned too. Okay, that's lust too. Right? So there we go. You know, it might, take us a, it might take you a little bit longer to get there, unless you're part of that 17%, but then you get there right away, just like men do. Right? It, it might take a little bit longer for you guys to get there, but lust is lust. It's still the same, whether you're a male or female, old or young. Because at the end of the day, we're all, we're all guilty of using somebody else, another one of God's children, as an object of our pleasure. Right? And that is lust. So do you guys see that? 
There's one more thing that verse 28 says that we have in common as men and women, and that's where lust begins. Lust comes from the heart. All right, we just learned that lustful looking leads to sin in our hearts. That's what we just learned, right? Lustful looking makes us sin. But the greater truth that Christ is actually trying to teach us through that verse is what? It's actually the sin that's already within our hearts that causes us to look lustfully at other people, right? Lustful looking is simply the expression of an immoral and adulterous heart. So if you, you, know, if you understand that, adultery is not just this external act of unfaithfulness, but it really is the internal cravings of a corrupted heart. And if you're like me at all, then you know that your heart is corrupted, like deeply, to the core. Have any of you ever tried to say sexually pure in your mind or in your heart for like a week? Have any of you ever done that? Or maybe even just for a day? Have you ever tried that? I've tried this many, 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 many times in my life, and I, and I always come to the same conclusion, and I always have the same experience, and let me share with those what that's like. Here's my conclusion. You know, it's extremely difficult to remain pure. It's, I think it's almost impossible, okay? Uh, I struggle everywhere that I turn in life. You know, if I'm on the internet, there's all these side ads that, that advertise things that, they shouldn't be advertising. You know, whenever I watch a TV show or a movie, there's always women who are dressed in ways that are great, you know, or, or you know, or, or there's like, you know, women or, or you know, there's movies and TVs that it shows that I watch all the time, Netflix or whatever it is. They talk about sex. They show sex. So I think about it. You know, if I'm just driving down the road, you know, I'll see someone very attractive and then boom, you know, I end up falling, right? And I end up repenting all the time. But the problem is, if you honestly repent every single time that you catch yourself lusting, you end up repenting a lot. That's like takes up your whole day. And then eventually you start to realize that there's not something wrong with you, but there's something like really, really wrong with you. It's like something way beyond fixing. There's something fundamentally broken about you. Lust is like on autopilot and you cannot stop it kind of fundamentally broken about you. And here's what's even scarier, I realized those things because I was trying not to lust. So can you imagine all those other weeks that I don't try? It's as if I just accept lust and I just entertain lust as my default mode and I don't think twice, right? This is what happens. And so by the end of the week, you start to realize, wow, you know, you're really messed up, anything. And there's no amount of, oh, I'm just going to try to avoid it, or, you know, I'm just going to try not to think about it. Those things don't work. By the end of that week, what you realize is, man, you just need a major overhaul of, like, your soul. You know, your heart needs to be transplanted. And I think that's exactly what the goal of the law and of Christ was all about. And when he taught this passage was for us to truly realize how much we truly need God because we really are sinful through and through. You know, you just can't put a Band-Aid on lust, right? You just can't, you know, try to change something little bit in your life. This is a huge problem. This is like a fundamental problem that we have. We need God to give us a new heart. We need God's power and God's righteousness to help us stop 
lust within our life and to overcome lust within our lives. We can't do it by our own strength. We need his help so that we could truly love our brothers and sisters and honor our brothers and sisters instead of using them as objects of our pleasure. Right? And so that's why we need Christ. And that's why we have this teaching before us. And so, you know, as we listen to this message and as we listen to these verses, I really hope that all of you can not only see that truth, but also agree with that truth as well. I really pray that you not only see that your heart is corrupted through and through, but that Jesus really is the only hope for our corrupted heart. You know, Jesus Christ, he lived this perfect life. He died upon the cross, not only to pay, to pay the penalty of all of our sins, but so that he could empower us to live out his righteousness within our lives, which means that if we have his righteousness within us, then we now have the power not only to stop lust, but to overcome lust within our lives. We have his righteousness, which has the power to transform our hearts of lust into a heart filled with love. And so that's what we need. You know, if you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ at all, can I invite you to do that today? If you've never recognized that you needed Christ more than anything in your life, will you surrender to Jesus today? I'd love for you to do that. It is only in Christ that we can truly stop lusting inappropriately. Okay? Uh, before I move on to some helpful suggestions on how to overcome lust and to live a life of purity, I want to say one more thing about lust. You know, a lot of people think that lust is completely evil, that it's totally bad, but it's not. You know, is all lust evil? And the answer is no. God created lust, right? And he created lust for good. If he didn't, we wouldn't have babies, right? So he created lust for good. And he created lust so that a man and his wife, a husband and wife, could enjoy each other sexually, within the context of marriage. That's why he created lust. And when that happens between spouses, it's really beautiful. It really is. I love it when I can sense that my wife wants me sexually. I like that. <laughs> you know? And I know she likes it when I want her sexually. You know, She likes being wanted. She hates it that I want it every hour, but you know she, you know, but it's 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 good. It's good when married people. I'm so sorry, honey. It's so it's you know it's 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 good when married people practice that and encourage that you know in their marriage, and that's exactly where it's supposed to be practiced. And when lust is practiced that way among husband and wife, it is absolutely amazing, and it is absolutely beautiful. But if you are not married, stop lusting inappropriately. Period. That's it, you know? The only time lust is supposed to be practiced is between a husband and wife in marriage. Any, any relationship outside of that, I don't care who, who you are, whether you're dating or whether you're engaged, it doesn't matter. You're not married. You need to, any type of sexual activity, whether it's physical or in your mind, is sin before God, okay? You guys understand that? God is calling us to radical Purity. So, what do we do when we find ourselves lusting? How can we better live a life of purity? That's our second point for today. Uh, so here's the second point. Cut temptations out of your life. 
Okay? Cut temptations out of your life. Verse 29, verse 30. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. Now, if you read this, this is some radical talk here by Jesus. These are some radical language that Jesus is using here. So let me tell you what he's saying, and let me tell you what he's not saying. And let's first talk about what he's not saying. Jesus is not literally telling us to gouge out our eyes. He is not literally telling us to cut off our hands or our feet or parts of our body. Right? Self-mutilation is not the answer to lust, right? And I, and I know I'm right on this one. You can gouge your eyes out and not be able to see things that will cause you to lust, but that doesn't mean you're not going to lust in your mind. You know what I'm saying? It's going to happen. We're like that. You know, just because you cut off your hands doesn't mean you're not going to touch anything inappropriate, whether it's someone else or even yourself. You know, it's not, you know, you don't need a hand to lust, right? So that's not what he's saying. Self-mutilation is not the answer. What is Jesus saying then? What Jesus is saying here is that if there is anything that causes you to lust through visual means, then cut out that stimulus in your life. If there are things that cause you to lust, maybe places that you're going to, relationships that you have, you know, or certain people or whatever it is, cut out those things out of your life. Live so that you could be completely blind and completely crippled towards those things so that you can't see them and so that you can't participate in them. That is what Jesus is talking about. Christ is not calling us to self-mutilation. He's calling us to what? Self-mortification. Right? We need to die to ourselves so that we can be holy. He's saying if there's anything that stands between us and living for him, those things must be ruthlessly and savagely torn out, cut off, and thrown away. The only answer to adultery is amputation. The only solution to lust is loss. We need to kill temptations out of our lives. You guys know Joseph in the Bible? Joseph was a godly man, Genesis, Technicolor Dreamcoat guy. You know, one day he rocked up to work, and his, wa- his boss's wife throws herself at him sexually. And what does Joseph do? He runs the other way, and that's it. And, you know, the Bible's like, where did he run to? I don't know, but he ran real far because you don't know where he went. But that's like the greatest answer. That's like pure genius. Because what did he do? He literally separated himself completely from temptation, which is exactly what we need to do. That's literally the only answer. There is no better answer that we've come across in this world in the past like 4,000 years, except separating ourselves completely from temptation. So what things cause you to lust in your life? Cut out those things now today. There is no middle road. If you want to protect your spiritual health, if you want to protect the sanctity of your marriage, you need to take extreme and radical measures to protect those things. We need to cut out those things within our lives. If we don't, verse, look at what verse 29 and verse 30 says. The end of verse 29 and the end of verse 30 are exactly the same. It says that we will find ourselves in hell. That's radical language, man. Right? So this is a serious teaching. Let me tell you what he's not teaching, what Jesus is not teaching. Here we go. He's not teaching this. If you're a believer in Christ and you have faith in Jesus Christ and you lust, you will not go to hell, okay? 
Don't worry. Lust is a sin that Jesus Christ died for. You can be forgiven of that. You can be redeemed of that. Awesome? We understand? Good. This is what he is teaching. What he's saying is that if you don't cut out those things within your life that cause you to lust and sin, then there are going to be some radical consequences that will occur in your life. It's a warning. There's going to be some radical consequences that are going to occur in your life that may include hell or might lead you to hell. You might ruin your marriage. You might jack up your kids. You might lose some of the most important friendships in your life. You might lose your job, right? You might damage your reputation. And if you, you know, can you imagine the psychological fallout of all those things happening within your life? If those things happened in your life, you may be really tempted to turn away from God, you know? And I'll be very honest with you. I'm not going to share any stories, but I know enough people in my life, even pastors, who have gone down that path. What, Eddie Bang? Really? Pastors have actually turned away from God? And unfortunately, the answer is yes. Because there's something that you need to know. Whenever your willful conduct totally betrays your belief in God, right? Whenever your belief, whenever your willful conduct is in conflict with your belief in God, Either your conduct has to change or your theology has to. And if you're not going to change your behavior, then guess what? One day you're going to wake up and realize, man, I don't think I really want to follow God after all. And that's what happens. So please listen to what Jesus is saying. He's saying that what we do with our eyes and what we do with our hands significantly affects our relationship with God. And possibly the eternity of our souls. That's pretty huge, isn't it? It's a huge teaching. So, cut temptations out of your life, pursue purity at all costs, and take radical steps to do so. So how is Christ's righteousness supposed to change the, you know, the life of a believer? We seek to get rid of inappropriate lust. Okay, We don't use people for our pleasure. And we pursue radical purity at all costs by cutting out temptations within our life. Are we cool? That's the teaching for today. I want to end my message by giving you uh, five practical suggestions on how we can cut out lust within our life, how we can overcome lust in our lives. And then I'll end with some final thoughts, okay? Uh, so here are five practical ways. You know, this way, I was, you know, I read so many things this week on how to like overcome lust and temptation. There's like so many things. I just narrowed it down to these five. Some of them may help you. Some of them won't. But it's okay. I've tried to... Anyway, here we go. All right, here we go. Number one, run to God. This is the most important one. We all need to run to God. We are so jacked up. Our hearts are so corrupt. We need a new heart. We need God. That's number one, you know. But here's the good news. If you have faith in Christ and you have Christ's righteousness within you then there is hope that you can overcome lust in your life. There is hope for victory. And it's awesome. Proverbs 28.13 says this. It says, Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Right? If you look at this verse, it says two things. The first thing it says is that the first thing you need to do, you need to do is to go to God. You need to confess your sins to God. And the greatest thing about confessing your sins to God is that he will always forgive you. 
He'll never hold your sins against you. He died to pay the penalty of them. He'll forgive you. Okay? That's one thing you need to know. The second thing he says to do is to renounce your sins and to repent from them, which means what? Making plans to go in the other direction. We talked about that already. You need to make plans to make sure you don't sin those things again. Repentance means literally going in the other direction in your life. In the same vein, as we're running away from sin in our lives, we really passionately must run after God. And the weapons that he gives us to fight with are prayer, worship, and scripture. And I think this is the key. This really is the key to overcoming lust in our lives. You know, whenever you spend time with God in prayer and in worship, that is the place of transformation. Because when you are in this place where you're like worshiping God, where you're praying to him, that is the place where God convinces our hearts that Christ really is the greatest satisfaction and joy that we can experience in this life. And that's where our hearts get you know, changed and transformed. And not only does it get changed and transformed so that we can fall in love and be convinced that Christ is all that we need in this life, but all of a sudden that's the place where our hearts get changed so that when we now look at sin, we can develop a hatred for it as well. Right? What we once craved, now God is training our hearts to hate. That happens in the place of worship and in prayer right? Scripture as well. You know, sin never has a chance against Scripture. That's why Jesus used it to combat Satan. We need to memorize Scripture. We need to meditate on Scripture. And we need to use Scripture to fight lust within our lives. What verses should I memorize, Eddie Bang? I'm going to ask you just to Google it. Google it. We know what are verses against lust and everything's going to come up, okay? Praise God for Google. Number two, stop believing the lies. Here's a weird one, isn't it? How do you overcome lust? Stop believing the lies. Did you guys know that lust lies to you? It does. I finally figured it out at my age. Whenever I'm tempted to lust, there's this voice that talks within my head that says, Eddie, if you don't enjoy what you're seeing right now, you're going to miss out on something good. Right? You know what I'm talking about? And so you're like, you're right. I should enjoy that person sexually. But the thing is, it's a lie. Because every single time you lust, you know, you don't experience something great. You, lust always leads to unfulfilled fantasies, guilt, destruction, even abuse, even anger within our hearts. You're not missing out. You're actually, every single time you lust, you're actually investing in trouble. Right? Another lie that lust tells you is that it's harmless. Dude, it's not going to affect you. It doesn't affect the other person. What the other person doesn't know is not going to hurt them. So it's okay. But it actually does. You know, a lot of people who entertain lust even once, they find themselves trapped. They find themselves enslaved by lust, right? That's what happens. And not only are you using other people for your pleasure, but if you didn't know, lust is the currency to the whole sex slave industry, you know, to the whole pornography industry. So it is absolutely harmful and it is absolutely destructive. But there's also the other side of the same coin. All right, a lot of people are, know that they're so messed up that they listen to the lie that you can never overcome lust in your life. You will never find victory within your life. And some people are there. But the truth is that we can. Why? Because lust is a choice. I don't have time to go into this, but I've read a few studies this week, secular studies as well as Christian studies, uh, psychological studies on people who are sexually addicted. And secular psychologists come to the conclusion almost every single time that they can overcome this addiction because lust is a choice. 
we can be free. What that means is we can be free. Freedom can be had, right? There are so many lies that lust tells us. And unless we've prepared ourselves to fight those lies, we're always going to fall. We're going to listen to them. Okay, number three, rejoice in your spouse. If you're married, can I invite you to invest in your spouse today, right? Invest. Give your heart to your spouse, you know. Give your passion to your spouse. Give your bodies to your spouse, right? And I know it's not that simple. It's not that easy. But the thing is this. You know, if we're not giving ourselves to each other as married, as married couples, as married people, then... You know, if okay, let's, let's let's approach it this way. When we give ourselves to each other, and we find our greatest satisfaction in our spouse, there's no need for us to turn anywhere else for satisfaction. It's the bottom line. But when we're not giving ourselves to each other as husband and wife, that just leaves windows open. You know, I'm not saying that you can't fall or you're going to be un- you're not going to be unfaithful even if you have a great marriage, but it is our job to. You know, have passion for each other. So invest in your spouse, right? Talk to your spouse. Reconcile with your spouse. Center your relationship with your spouse upon Christ and invest your heart into each other. Build up your passion for each other. If you need help with that, please come and talk to me. I'd love to talk to you about it. Number four, get into accountability. I'm very 50-50 on this one because there's a lot of accountability groups that happen in church that really suck. And the reason why they suck is because the people in accountability groups don't really want accountability, nor do they really, nor are they fierce enough to keep each other accountable. But they're just in the group just to call themselves an accountability group. And if that's the case, then it's a bogus accountability group. Am I right? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Hopefully not. If you really want to be kept accountable, this is what you need to do. You need to find one person or two people, whatever it is. Don't go more than two. One person who is willing to be completely vulnerable with you one person who is willing to fight for the absolute purity in your life, one person who is willing to ask you the hard questions and is willing to hurt you at the exact same time, not physically. If you have someone like that, that's good. I had a partner like that when I was in seminary, and it helped so much, right? I've been in accountability groups where after three months, I'm like, why am I in this thing? Because there's nothing helping me. But you got to know this. If you really want to have accountability, we always say, oh, arpen, iron sharpens iron. You know, we always say stuff like that. But if you've ever seen iron sharpen iron, it hurts. It looks painful. And it's supposed to be. Right? So if your accountability is not painful, it's probably not good. So lastly, live on mission. There's a phrase in the world that says, idle hands are the devil's workshop. Did you ever hear that one? It's based on scripture. It's not in scripture, but it's based on scripture. Proverbs 18.9 says, one who is slack in his work is brother to one who destroys. And the thing is, basically what it's saying is this. You know, when we're not actively living for Christ, guess what? We're going to live for ourselves. But the whole point, and that's when we get into trouble, the whole point of God saving us was so that we could now live for him and no longer live for ourselves. And the thing is, whenever I find myself consumed with what God wants me me to do with my life, and I'm loving the people in order to do that around me, I find the temptation to lust a lot less. And the reason why is because not only because worship and prayer and all those things, but it's because I just want to be used by God. You know, and I know that if I stay pure and if I if I if I stay God's man, 
that God's going to use me powerfully. And that's what I desire more. And that happens when you live on mission. So, you know, if we want to overcome lust within our lives, live actively, intentionally, passionately on mission. Reach the lost with your life. Build other believers in the church. Invest in God's work around you and in the world. You combine that with prayer. You combine that with worship. You combine that with scripture, and you're going to see God start to change your heart. Guaranteed. Right? That's where it happens. That's number five. Three thoughts to end my message today. Number one, uh, I am not an expert. I cannot help you overcome lust. You know, if you come to me and you share with me your struggles, I will put my arm around you and pray with you and I will walk with you. That's all I can do, you know, but I would love to do that. Secondly, if you are struggling now and you feel enslaved by this sin in your life, always know that there is no limit to God's forgiveness of you. There is no one who wants you to come to him more than today than God himself. Right? Someone, one pastor told me this, and it saves my life all the time. He, says, he said, if grace was never meant to be abused, it would never be grace. Think about that for a moment. Enjoy it. Right? So come back to him. Be loved by him. Romans 8.1, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is always hope to change and overcome lust in Christ. Last point that I want to make before I end is this. I really hope that we can be a church that openly dialogues about sex. That we talk openly about sex and lust and relationships. I know in the church, I don't know our church because I haven't been here that long, but a lot of times in churches, you know, it's kind of a hush-hush topic. It's a taboo topic. We don't talk about it very much. Even married couples don't talk about their sexual lives. And I think that's, that's terrible. I do. We need to change this culture, right? Because guess what? Everyone has questions. Everyone has curiosities about sex, lust, relationships, marriage, all those types of things. And if we're not free to open to talk about those things within church, then where are you going to find your answers? K-dramas, right? Hollywood? Friends, the internet, they're not going to tell you the truth, capital T, truth. But hopefully we will. So married couples, I encourage you, you know, if you're comfortable, please talk openly about it. My wife and I are committed. You can ask us anything about anything. And I will not judge you, but I will talk openly with you. I want church to be the place where we can talk about those things. Okay? Sorry, CG leaders, if they start talking about sex at CG this week, you know, uh, you just direct them to me. But I think it is imperative that we change the culture of our church so that we can be like that because it is imperative that we live radically pure lives. And that's the reason why. Radical righteousness calls us to radical purity. My prayer is that in a world where sex is the norm, advertised, promoted, expected, that you will choose purity instead. We'll promote purity in your life, protect purity in your lives at all costs. Let's pray. You know, there's only one solution for lust and our adulterous hearts, and that's Jesus Christ. You know, if you've never repented of your sins, if you've never put your faith in Christ, will you do so today? He is our only hope. Talk to him, trust in him, surrender to him. 
You know, if God is speaking to you about certain things that you need to cut out of your life and throw away, will you please do that today? For some of you, it's visual habits. For others, God may be telling you to stop going to certain places or engaging in certain activities, visiting certain websites, or he may be even telling you to end a relationship that's not honoring to him. Do it today. Radical righteousness calls us to radical purity. If you're a married couple that's struggling in this area, please pray and ask for God's help. Pray, if you can, pray with your spouse and your relationship. And if you need help, I'd love to help you as well. Let's all go to God knowing that his love, his forgiveness is endless and that he will give us all we need to be satisfied in him completely, which is the true answer to lust. Let's pursue him even more today. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you will help us. Father, because we can't overcome lust on our own or by our own strength. We are corrupted through and through. We need you, God. If there are people here who have never given, given their lives to Jesus, Father, we pray today, move their hearts to do so. Not so that they can you know, live in freedom, but so they can know you, God, and know how great and awesome and beautiful you really are. But Lord, for those who are in Christ, Help us. We need your power. We need your strength to overcome lust within our lives. Father, we all want to do it. We all want to live purely. We all want to have great marriages. We want to have holy relationships within our lives. But Father, we need your help to do so because there is something fundamentally broken in all of us. Lord, we pray. Help us to be men and women that love you so deeply, that find our deepest satisfaction in you alone. God, that we will start to hate lust within our lives. And Father, that we will you know, turn away from it and God truly choose you in all ways. Lord, for those who are addicted, we pray, God, give them the strength to turn back to you once again and anoint them with your power so that they might overcome. Help them to find friendships and relationships, God, that will help them overcome. As iron does sharpen, sharpen iron, Father, may many people be sharpened in our congregation today. Lord, we turn to you because you really are our only hope. We need you to do all this. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.